Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within, historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival, annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions. Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do, and how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do when she really puts her mind to it. It also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day. This is the Gospel Feast Podcast for those that need a little meat after the milk. It's time to feast on the Word. Wow, what an incredible feast we have had on the book of Jonah. I will never see this little book on the prophet Jonah the same way again. So read what is left for us to study in terms of Jonah. Jonah is a tale of second chances and the infinite love of God. The Bible teaches that the God of the universe is actually a father God. Joseph Smith expanded on this teaching to explain that it is literally true. Secular Christianity pays this concept lip service without embracing it literally. It is the doctrine and witness of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that humanity, male and female, were and are made in the express image of heavenly parents. We teach unabashedly that if you were able to rip open the heavens and peer into the throne room of God, you would see a glorious man, our Father in heaven, and his glorious wife, our Heavenly Mother, enthroned on high. They are the literal parents of our spirits, and we are literally their children. 
all of us, all mankind, no matter what race or tribe we claim here on earth. Loving parents do not delight in the suffering of their children. They do not delight in their absence either, but rejoice when the family gathers and look forward to times of reunion. The harsh black-and-white nature of secular Christianity stands in direct conflict with this truth. It is no wonder that so many religiously-minded truth-seekers struggle with the simplistic teachings of religions today. Without the knowledge of God as a literal parent, so much of his actions make no sense. Here's a simple one. Why did God create us? Secular Christianity has no intelligent answer. But ask a Latter-day Saint, and it's very simple. God wanted a family. We see the same pattern all around us. Men and women join together in marriage, and they want a family. Here's another. Why does a good God allow men and women to suffer? Again, there is no fulfilling answer from the masses, but ask a Latter-day Saint, and it's simple. Every parent lets their child stumble and struggle to grow. If you rush to stop every lesson and kiss every boo-boo, you end up doing more harm than good. Shall we continue? So-called Mormonism, but really restored Christianity, can continue. We have already discussed how the Prophet Joseph Smith came to the realization that it was not possible for the final state of man to be merely one of either heaven, perfect happiness, or hell, eternal suffering. It is not a fair judgment, and since we know God is just, this simply cannot be true. As more and more of the restored gospel came forth, more and more questions were answered and new ones were raised. It was not long before the question came, if God is perfectly fair, is there really any sin so wrong that endless punishment is justified? It is an important question. Even in the unfair legal systems of fallen man, all punishment has an end. Our current harshest life without the possibility of parole ends with death. How then could a loving God be fair in consigning his own children to endless punishment for anything? Certainly, how could he be called fair for such a verdict when the crime was one of unbelief? Unbelief surely can't be as bad as homicide, genocide, infocide, regicide, patricide, and so forth aside. At some point, there comes a time when every broken law is paid for. Once a criminal has paid in full, is not the prisoner free? The restored gospel and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon the saints gave rise to these types of questions. The Lord had vowed that in the fullness of times, he would answer every question put to him of the leaders of his church. And thus, the following insightful answer to that very question of judgment and fairness was given to the prophet Joseph Smith. Doctrine and Covenants 19.1 I am Alpha and Omega, Christ the Lord, yea, even I am He, the beginning and the end, the Redeemer of the world. I, having accomplished and finished the will of Him whose I am, even the Father concerning me, having done this that I might subdue all things unto myself, retaining all power, even to the destroying of Satan and his works at the end of the world, and the last great day of judgment, which I shall pass upon the inhabitants thereof, judging every man according to his works and the deeds which he hath done. And surely every man must repent or suffer, for I, God, am endless. Wherefore, I revoke not the judgments which I shall pass, but woes shall go forth, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, yea, to those who are found on my left hand. Nevertheless, it is not written 
that there shall be no end to this torment, but it is written endless torment. Again, it is written eternal damnation, wherefore it is more express than other scriptures, that it might work upon the hearts of the children of men, altogether for my name's glory. Wherefore, I will explain unto you this mystery, for it is meet unto you to know even as mine apostles. I speak unto you that are chosen in this thing, even as one, that ye may enter into my rest. For behold, the mystery of godliness, how great it is! For behold, I am endless, and the punishment which is given from my hand is endless punishment, for endless is my name. Wherefore, eternal punishment is God's punishment. Endless punishment is God's punishment. This is fascinating. To paraphrase, the Lord is saying that in order to impress upon the simple minds of humanity the importance of repentance and the need to embrace His commands on earth, He created a mystery. The mystery functioned as a word play. He told the people that their reward or punishment for their life's choices would result in either endless torment and eternal misery or in endless happiness and eternal life. He allowed the perceived meaning of endless and eternal to soak in so that it might work upon the hearts of the children of men altogether for my name's glory, or in order to get the attention of stubborn, prideful, and stiff-necked humanity. He allowed the misinterpretation of these words to stand. People thought the rewards and punishments of the next world were endless and eternal in terms of length of time and therefore would be more apt to consider God's words and atonement in the here and now during the day of their testing and probation, during the time they could still make lifestyle changes easily. The mystery is in God's definition of eternal and endless. The Lord revealed that he was never referring to the length of time his punishment or reward would take, but rather that it would be given from his hand. Therefore, any place in his word where one reads endless or eternal punishment or reward should read God's punishment and God's reward. This was mind-blowing to the church when it was revealed. The Lord reinforced the need to repent immediately afterward. He knew full well that the moment you give a man an inch, he takes a mile. Silly and small-minded people would immediately say, Well, if that's the case, then we can eat, drink, and grope merry, for tomorrow we die. Then we will wait a thousand years, pay for our own sins, and be done with it all. Note the Lord's counsel now that the cat was out of the bag. Doctrine and Covenants 19.13 Wherefore, I command you to repent and keep the commandments which ye have received by the hand of my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., in my name. And it is by my almighty power that you have received them. Wherefore, I command you to repent, repent, lest I smite you by the rod of my mouth, and by my wrath, and by my anger, and your sufferings be sore. How sore you know not, how exquisite you know not, yea, how hard to bear you know not. As smart as man thinks he is, the Lord is smarter. As a God of truth, he had revealed a mystery to his church. But he was quick to add that even if all punishments came to an end at some point, the length of that some point could be very, very long. However, even if that length was short, it could be very, very painful. Only a fool would interpret God's great mercy in ending human punishment as a get-out-of-jail-eventually-free card. We are and know people who are just that foolish. The Lord continued, 
For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain, and to bleed at every pore, and to suffer both body and spirit, and would, that I might not drink the bitter cup, and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father, and I partook and finished my preparations unto the children of men. God so loved the world, John taught us, that he gave us this divine opportunity to learn and grow and avoid the terrible punishment such an experience would necessitate. So what did the Lord get out of it? His humility is such that I believe he would have done it merely because the Father asked him to. However, the Father did give the Lord a reward for his terrible ordeal. Doctrine and Covenants 19.2 I, having accomplished and finished the will of him whose I am, even the Father, concerning me, having done this that I might subdue all things unto myself, retaining all power, judging every man according to his works and the deeds which he hath done. The Father gave Jesus all power. But that also means Doctrine and Covenants 1, 2 For verily the voice of the Lord is unto all men, and there is none to escape. And there is no eye that shall not see, neither ear that shall not hear, neither heart that shall not be penetrated. And the rebellious shall be pierced with much sorrow, for their iniquities shall be spoken upon the housetops, and their secret acts shall be revealed. The point here is this. Even if men were stupid enough to choose to pay for their own sins, suffering even as the Lord did in the garden, and bore his pain for a celestial millennia, what then? Why, after the fool would have paid the utmost farthing, he would still exit his punishment subjected to the king of kings, ruler of all things. The same one who was willing to bear his and her sins from the beginning, and who knew them all from the start. This same God would still rule over us in the end. Nothing is hidden from God, and so when men seek to hide their sins from him, they are only hurting themselves. As a reminder of this, carved on the eastern central tower of the Salt Lake Temple is an all-seeing eye gazing through a veil. It is a visual reminder of the truth that God knows and sees all. Therefore, there is no reason not to come to him and repent. He already knows what you've done, and you will not escape him anyway. The wise man repents and trusts in Almighty God. Those who do are always astounded by how quickly the Lord's love pours down from him. He is truly quick to forgive. The Lord cautioned the church to be careful revealing this mystery to the world. Doctrine and Covenants 19.21 And I command you that ye preach not but repentance, and show not these things unto the world, until it is wisdom in me. For they cannot bear meat now, but milk they must receive. Wherefore, they must not know these things, lest they perish. Learn of me, and listen to my words. Walk in the meekness of my spirit, and you shall have peace in me. I am Jesus Christ. I came by the will of the Father, and I do his will. At some point, the Lord must have felt the world was able to bear the meaty truth, that there is no such thing as endless hell and eternal suffering in his Father's many heavenly mansions. Thus it was published to the world in the Doctrine and Covenants. The Lord had explained to the saints that his mercy was even greater than they had imagined. He restored so many great and comforting truths to the earth with the Restoration. 
Here's a non-comprehensive list of what we know and rejoice to now know. Children who die before the age of eight are unaccountable for their sins and are covered completely by the grace of Christ. There is no need for infant baptism and there is no such place as Catholic limbo where children's little souls are lost forever. All children who die before the age of eight years old are safe and are saved in the kingdom of God, period, no exception. The final judgment day will be totally fair and individual. Men will be judged according to the light and truth they received and understood on earth. In other words, God does not hold a wily savage who has spent his life in the Congo in the 1600s to the same standard that he holds a Cambridge professor of the same era who had been raised to preach from the King James Bible. How could he? Instead, God will judge each man by the light and law he was given and understood on the earth. Every accountable child of God is given a chance to accept or reject the gospel, whether in the flesh or in the spirit world after death. God alone is the determiner if a human soul has been taught the gospel sufficiently to constitute his or her true acceptance or rejection. God alone determines the worth of every soul. In judging the human heart, God reserves the right to save anyone whose heart is such that had they been given a full opportunity to embrace the restored gospel, they would have. His grace via temple work makes all of this possible. The Lord will use his millennial reign to heal, redeem, and improve the lives of those who trust in him, alive and dead. Many who were denied fairness in terms of opportunity will be given such during this thousand-year period before the final judgment. Righteous parents who lost children, singles desiring marriage and family, and children bereft of parents will be given all they lost and more at this time. There is in reality no traditional hell as depicted by medieval popes and priests. Moreover, Satan will be punished for his crimes and sins against God's children. He is not a demon ruler equal to God, as some believe, but his kingdom will have an end, and he will be cast into outer darkness, where he will be unable to injure, tempt, or affect the children of God ever again. Within the temples of the Most High, vicarious work for the dead can be performed, and if the dead choose to accept this work, as though they had done it for themselves while alive, God will consider it so. There are more, but you can ferret them out yourself. The knowledge of the Restoration is a journey worth exploring, and if you have not yet explored it, start with an open heart and page one of the Book of Mormon. You are in for the ride of your life, I promise you. What this all boils down to, if one studies it logically, is that it should be possible, given time and repentance, to rise from one kingdom or mansion of the Father to another. The saints believe that ultimately the only thing holding us back is our own disobedience to Him. The ancients called this damnation, and it only makes sense biblically through restored Christianity. Damnation means existing in a state of being held back. One must ask, held back from what? From eternal increase. This is the meaning of the word. Just as water is held back from its forward progression, so are the children of men held back in proceeding with their eternal exaltation. To exalt is to make high. To be exalted eternally is to progress higher forever. It is motion. It is upward thrust. And you should know by now that motion is a male force. This force is called priesthood. If any child of God can be forgiven and allowed to progress forward, given enough time and patience, 
it is only logical that at some point they will progress. Incidentally, this is exactly what modern prophets have taught. Consider the following statements carefully. What is the advantage coming to those born under the covenant? Being heirs, they have claims upon the blessings of the gospel beyond what those not so born are entitled to receive. They receive a greater guidance, a greater protection, a greater inspiration from the Spirit of the Lord. And then there is no power that can take them away from their parents. Those born under the covenant, or sealed in the temple later, throughout all eternity, are the children of their parents. The parents may still feel after them and eventually bring them back near to them again. President Joseph Fielding Smith What does the prophet mean when he said there is no power that can stop this? Is it not the work of the temple to seal the entire family of man, from Adam, down through the ages, back to God the Father and our Heavenly Mother? If the entire family, save the sons of perdition, are sealed, as if they were born in Abraham's covenant, which incidentally is what we are doing today in the temples across the globe, does this not imply that all can be saved eventually? Here's another one from President Brigham Young. Let the father and mother, who are members of this church and kingdom, take righteous course and strive with all their might never to do a wrong, but to do good all their lives. If they have one child or one hundred children, if they conduct themselves toward them as they should, binding them to the Lord by their faith and prayers. I care not where those children go. They are bound up to their parents by an everlasting tie, and no power of earth or hell can separate them from their parents in eternity. They will return again to the fountain from whence they sprang. Children born under the covenant, who drift away, are still the children of their parents. And the parents have a claim upon them, and if the children have not sinned away all their rights, the parents may be able to bring them, through repentance, into the celestial kingdom. President Brigham Young A staggering thought. Why would any secular Christian wish to embrace the old hellfire and endless damnation of pre-restoration Christian dogma when this is available to them? How can any faith-believing follower of Jesus Christ not stand in awe of the love and mercy which the Latter-day Saints alone claim flows down from the cross of Jesus? Here's a modern recent teaching from President Boyd K. Packer. The measure of our success as parents will not rest solely on how our children turn out. That judgment would be just only if we could raise our families in a perfectly moral environment. And that now is not possible. It is not uncommon for responsible parents to lose one of their children for a time to influences over which they have no control. They agonize over rebellious sons or daughters. They are puzzled over why they are so helpless when they have tried so hard to do what they should. It is my conviction that those wicked influences one day will be overruled. Elder Boyd K. Packer And here's one more from Elder Orson F. Whitney. The Prophet Joseph Smith declared, and he never taught more comforting doctrine, that the eternal sealings of faithful parents and the divine promises made to them for valiant service in the cause of truth would save not only themselves, but likewise their posterity. Though some of the sheep may wander, the eye of the shepherd is upon them, and sooner or later they will feel the tentacles of divine providence reaching out after them and drawing them back to the fold. Either in this life or the life to come they will return, 
They will have to pay their debt to justice. They will suffer for their sins and may tread a thorny path. But if it leads them at last, like the penitent prodigal, to a loving and forgiving father's heart and home, the painful experience will not have been in vain. Pray for your careless and disobedient children. Hold on to them with your faith. Hope on, trust on, till you see the salvation of God. Elder Orson F. Whitney As a fallen mortal man caught between the dichotomy of wanting to be a son of the Most High and fighting with the lessons of life and the whims of an archdemon smarter than I am, my hope and prayer is that God is indeed a God of multiple chances. Repeatedly the Lord commanded the early saints to preach nothing but repentance, and in this lies the wisdom. Whether God is this or that, that or this, if men refuse or forget to walk the straight and narrow path outlined by him and do not repent of their sins, it will make no difference in the end. Thankfully, we have more than one chance to repent. Having studied the plan of salvation or the great plan of happiness at some length together, it would be a tragedy to miss the plan that you and I fought for and that the Lord died for simply because we allowed ourselves to intellectualize away the time of our repentance. With the windows of heaven open to us like never before, and living in the fullness of time, we want it all. I don't believe this desire is unrighteous, but I do believe that therein lies a trap. Satan has an astounding ability to use our individual strengths against us. I think that is why the Lord uses our weaknesses for us. It is easy to swell with pride in our strengths. But it is difficult to forget the mercy of the Lord as he turns impossible desires for betterment into reality. He is more than able to make a weakness into a godly strength. Knowing all of this, and knowing that our Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us all to repent and to embrace his straight and narrow path, his good works, that his grace may be sufficient for us, and desiring a little bit of meat, let's take a look at the plan of salvation even deeper. Even deeper? Wow, what a gospel feast we've been having. Okay, next time Reed says we can go even deeper. Uh, we want to remind all of our listeners that this podcast is not endorsed, reviewed, or sponsored by any denomination. All views herein are ours alone. If you are wanting even more, remember that uh, this book series is available. The entire series is available. Gospel Feast Books on Amazon. So until next time, may the Lord be with you. Thank you.